Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello, welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. Two months without international rugby and the Six Nations is back this weekend. Question marks over lots of things because of new squads, new coaches and so on. And of course, with England, it's been a turbulent few months for Saracens. They've been relegated from the Gallagher Premiership. Of course, they have a large number of England players. We will discuss what relegation means for Eddie Jones' squad. Will it have any effect uh, Scotland, they begin this year's tournament without their talisman, Finn Russell, who seems to like a beer or two. Breach of protocol is what was said. What sort of protocol <laughs> doesn't allow you to have a little bit of a beer? Anyway, um, they take up Ireland. Ireland come into the tournament under new management. Andy Farrell stepped into the role after Joe Schmidt uh, resigned following... Well, he's unable to get Ireland past the quarterfinals of the World Cup. We'll have the former Ireland back row... Alan Quinlan to talk us through that. Another side coming into the tournament with a new head coach, defending champions Wales. Wayne Pivak comes in to replace Warren Gatland and he's going to bring an entertaining style of play or so he says. We'll speak to the former Wales and Lions number eight, Scott Quinnell, about what we can expect from the former Scarlets coach. And England's women will begin the defence of their Six Nations title away to France on Sunday and ahead of that game, we'll speak to Captain Sarah Hunter about the prospect of making it back-to-back Six Nations titles. Alongside me today, delighted to welcome back the former England centre, Tom May. Hello, Tom. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, now then, well, let's get this out of the way. France, England, <laughs> um, the Saris players. Um, this whole affair with the salary cap has been handled so badly, legally and PR-wise, from uh, my point of view, written extensively about it, don't want to go into it. The fact is, they're going to go down. The fact is, they cheated. And now it's time to get on with it. But let me just put this to you, because it's only just come out. The former Saracens wing, Chris Ashton, says he didn't understand why the club was breaching the salary cap, or potentially as part of it, when owner Nigel Ray invested in a property with him. He said, look, completely separate to rugby for me, Nigel wasn't involved in the negotiations. I, I just saw him as a, a businessman outsider and I went to see him to get a loan like I would a bank. 
And that's the point, Chris. He's not a bank, is he? It's supposed <laughs> to be a bank. Bank of Nigel Ray. Dear, oh dear. I mean, what on earth can you say to either naivety, stupidity, or, or I don't know, I'm incredulous about that sort of view. I, I, what do you... What Look, can you say? I think players have got to have more of an understanding, haven't they? I, th- I think they will now. Now that this whole thing has come to come to fruition, there's been so much talk about it. As players look to try and renew and, and negotiate contracts, I think the people surrounding them will, will be a lot more aware of what's going on. I think players will be um, a lot more conscious about what what's being put on offer. Um, but yeah... I, I, um, I guess I guess Chris Ashton has been pretty honest there in, say, in saying the Bank of Nigel well, Ray helped fair, him out. I mean, he's never described himself as a sophisticated investor, but this is ridiculous. Like, let, let, let's let's move on because the Saracens thing has been it's been done. I just make one point actually. Saracens should have made the case that because a lot of their players came through the academy and they turned out to be England superstars, their value went up, their pay demands went up. Now, logically, if you think about it, they could have said, or should have said, if we developed 15 England qualified players in 15 positions and they all turned out to be the England first team, we'd be screwed because they'd be worth a lot more money and we've benefited England and yet we're being severely penalised. And there should be a way of, I don't know the exact figures because I haven't worked them out, but to say something like, for every year we have someone in our academy, you ought to give us a discount of... 50 grand off their salary doesn't go to the cap because otherwise the, uh, the incentive is to, yeah. to buy foreign players yeah. and we won't want that. So reward that. And that, that's a much better point to me. Yeah, and I think they've made that point pretty clear, haven't they? They're very proud about how they've developed their homegrown talents. And I think you have to look at what Nigel Ray's supposed intent was in terms of helping those, those players out for, for post-career. Um, but you have to word it in the right way and it has to be structured in the right, right way, which clearly it wasn't. Well, actually, you have to do the simple expedient of ringing the salary cap manager or writing to him, and then you find out whether you're in breach or not. Very simple. If you don't do it, then you deserve everything you get, frankly. Look, there's supposed to have been clear the air talks led by Owen Farrell, and you might bearing in mind him, he told you the Vunipolas were all, all part of the, you know, the Saracens thing, and, and, which a lot of people have, have, have said he's he, cheating. What do you expect, if you were a player on the other side of it, What's your view likely to be? It wouldn't bother me. If I was another player in an, in an England squad and those players were coming in, I think there's been enough suspicion throughout the years that that, that players are, are earning good salaries. But I don't think players sit there over, over dinner and go, you know, oh, I know you're earning exactly this amount, so add that to all the others and you're blatantly breaching the salary cap. I don't think players care. Well, I tell you, look, I, you know, I, didn't, I played one year in the professional year, but I think my view would have been when I'm in an England context, and they're my teammates, you get on with it. Yeah. And I'm a bit jealous in a sense that I couldn't do it because my club played by the rules. But when I'm in my club context and I'm facing you, then I might have a different view because I think that's a bit unfair. So, But when you come to this particular issue, I don't think it's going to be a, a real problem for England. No, and I think, you know, it was interesting listening to Chris Robshaw post, post the uh, Saracens um Quinn's game this weekend and he said there was no there was no sort of focus on that that for me 
there is there is a hundred percent chance that those guys would have let Saracens know exactly what they were thinking in that yeah. context, that club context. Well, that, right. that's exactly the. I'm just making a distinction. Yeah, yeah. I think you know when they go into into the England camp, I, you know everyone's pulling in the same direction, and Eddie Jones has spoken about the culture and the spirit that he's tried to create. Um, and for me, there would be no reason for for Owen Farrell to stand up and try and clear the air in front of an England contingent mm. of players. Well, he's obviously felt um, duty bound to do that. I, I don't think it will be a problem. But what he, it is a problem, Vunipola, Billy Vunipola, broken it fourth time. He's broken his arm uh, in, in in a couple of years. I, I don't know. I don't know whether it's a case of brittle bones or, or whatever. Not good, but it's meant there's been question marks over the background. Eddie Jones not going for a recognised number eight. Do you think that's a mistake? I think in any other Six Nations where it's not come off the back of a, a World Cup. It, it may well be, may well have been slightly different. Um, I think there's an opportunity here for Eddie Jones to try and some of the younger players that that perhaps might develop into that shirt. He needs to de- develop the depth, but behind Billy Vanapolo, because clearly he's he's streets ahead of everyone else. Um, the one name that wasn't there was Don Brandt in terms of, in terms of what he's been doing at Quinns, but um, it's pretty tough luck for Billy Vanapolo to keep breaking breaking his arms. Um, there's been enough players over the years that have strapped him up pretty healthily. <laughs> you know, you've got this situation, and unusually, everyone will probably say to this year, actually, this year is three, four out from a World Cup. So as long as we make progress, the results, in a sense, do not matter as much. But what is absolutely incontrovertibly true, and everyone accepts this, in a Six Nations, if you lose the first game, everything changes and you're under pressure straight away and coaches are under pressure and it's far preferable to win the first game and then you can make whatever changes you want from a position of strength instead of having everyone on your back and feeling under pressure. So on the one hand, you've got this, you know, what that particular thought. On the other hand, you've got this imperative. So how do you think they'll square that particular um, conundrum? I think the back row is an area where you can you can slot Courtney Courtney Laws into the back row, added experience. But I think someone like Ben Earl is going to get a shot early on in this competition, and I, and I think he deserves it. I think he's been brilliant for Saracens. Um, completely different type of type of player. Um, I don't think we'll see Eddie Jones making mass swathing changes to this team. Well, even though there are eight uncapped players in his squad? Yeah, I, I think there'll be one or two. Um, and I think perhaps further down the line against against teams like um, Italy in the final game in Rome, we might see a few more as well. But I, I think... I know what you say about results, but I I also think players will want. Or clearly, they want you know they want to win every game. Yeah. They don't want to th- think that it's just being a chop chopping and changing. Oh, it I'm and, sure the players won't feel yeah. like that. Um, I mean, let, let's just give it take from me. You've got Moon, Dingwall, Furbank, Stewart, Amaga, Dunn, Earl, and Thorley. They're all the uncapped players. Your take on this one, just for example, Jacob Amaga's there, but no Smith, Marcus yeah. Smith. And given that he's been in that position for the past couple of seasons and he's been playing outstandingly well, um, I think he gave a good response um, this weekend, didn't he? Man of the match and he was outstanding. Um, I think at times they want to give opportunities to the likes of Alex Mitchell and uh, uh, Jacob Umayo, who's obviously in the the squad completely. Um, But then also there's an opportunity for someone, um, you know, that's coming into those apprentice spots to, to just be around those players, I, th- I think it was probably too early in my in my um, opinion for Jacob Umanga. But um, 
you know, I think I think it's exciting to see these sorts of players. Like Fraser Dingwall has been outstanding for Northampton, um, as has George Furbank. I think George has a, a habit of doing this, and knowing him a little bit, he's always keen on keeping people keen. So part of this is to expose young players who are not going to get on the bench. They're not going to be there in the squad, see the mentality, see the way they work, whilst giving the um, the message to players like Smith, yep, you, you're doing okay, but I want you to keep busting. And that's probably a case in point with uh, Don Brandt as well. Yeah. Someone that everyone is saying he's going to be in the England squad, he, he should be playing in the England squad. Well, he's he's picked him out and thought perhaps he isn't quite as fit. But you, but you wouldn't put it past Jones just to bring them in for the next one, would no, you? At no, all. Ex- exactly. And just dangle that carrot and go, right, if, if, if you keep working on the game, you keep performing, then you'll get your shot. Well, if you think it's going to be unpredictable... With England, what about France? Fabien Gaultier, 19 uncapped players. Look, to be fair, the bulk of them uh, won the under-20s World Cup last summer. But it is a different uh, degree by by quite a long way, under-20s to, to senior rugby. I mean, it certainly is, not least physically. But you, the, you can see the quality. Of, we have seen the quality in that under-20s tournament and in some of the performances of these players for their clubs can they possibly in you know effect one training uh, period get it right sufficiently you know to beat what should be a more stable England 15 or 23 what a, what a great opportunity for them though to come up against England in Paris this weekend in round one as you say when when a team isn't quite as polished as they might be further down the, into yeah. the tournament, if they come out of that first round fixture with a win, and England have lost three out of the last four in, in Paris as well, it, so. yeah, exactly. And I, I, look, how the French didn't get through um, in, in Japan and they, how they lost that game is is quite mind blowing. But yeah, they are capable of doing things like that. But I, I'm really interested to see how this um, French team go. I, I think they're probably full of players that, that have self-belief in terms of they've come through that under-20 setup. They've got three fly halves that are, I think they're all under-22. Um, and and they're all outstanding players. And get, now getting an opportunity in the top 14, which is different to, to what's happened years gone by because all of those positions have been taken up by foreigners. Um, and you look at the likes of Dupont, who's so key to how France perform. He's only 23. Serran's 25. Demba Bamba, who's been outstanding through age group rugby and playing playing pro to do it and now in the top 14 you know that they've got some some pretty talented youngsters that are going to test England like all games you you cannot afford to come badly second best up front because you you just won't win games and I'm sure that uh, Galtier has in mind picking a robust pack because France have got those players so I think you won't see too many of the uncapped players being given certainly a start in that place. They can do that more easily in the backs for me. Well, it's going to be an interesting contest, isn't it? Because Eddie Jones is already talking about how physical they're going to be. Well, brutal. Well, adopt a brutal approach on a young side, which sounds like bullying. Good. <laughs> That's exactly what we want. Give it to them. I, I can't understand this. Why would you not? In a, in a sporting context, of course you bully people if you can. Doesn't mean to say you're going to do it off the field, for God's sake. It's, you know, it's, this is a sporting contest. Of course, when you get on top, you keep your foot on the throat, if you can. I, for me, I just can't see France, with the limited preparation time they've got, 
doing it this time because I, I just think England might have, should have, it should have too much for them. Yeah, I, look, I think I think Galtier's made a choice as well in Charles Olivon that's, you know, it, he he was a guy that that perhaps people had thought had come to the end of his career due to shoulder injuries, but they've they've pinned their hopes on him. He's been playing brilliantly for Toulon, um, and actually now they're saying, right, look, let's let's just throw caution to the wind. Let's give these guys a chance and try and change all of the all of the um, the problems they face. Look, they haven't won what Six Nations since two thousand and ten, I think. That's yeah. um, a long time for a, for a side that that really. We want to see, obviously not beating England, but we, we won't want them to see them performing because they can perform brilliantly. Just want to read you a bombshell. <laughs> Just been put in front of me. Edward Griffiths, who is the interim CEO of Saracens. Of course, he was there previously and uh, was brought in after the salary cap scandals. Well, he's resigned with immediate effect and Chairman Neil Golding has said... The club is very grateful to Edward for temporarily stepping away from his other commitments to provide significant assistance during a difficult period and we wish him well in future. Griffiths said, this was always going to be a very short-term appointment. What? Matter how many days? <laughs> oh dear. And um, others are well-placed to drive forward the rebuilding of the club. The recruitment process is underway for a long-term CEO. Well, if they hadn't messed the PR up before... This is the final straw, isn't it? I mean, if he was going to be a really, really, really short-term CEO, say he's here for a month or whatever, just to help us out. Or, you know, a very short period. That wasn't what was said. Everyone, no one expected it to be this short. And this looks, to, uh, coming after everything else, it just is jack-handed to me. In, in a moment when we really need clarity... There's just anything but, um, and I don't. I don't think that that will be the only bombshell that comes out over the next few weeks either. I think. I think some of them may well come out during the Six Nations, where they may disappear in, in, under all the international news. But wow. Well, Edward, who uh, has been alleged to be a cricket agent, I don't know how that works. You know, maybe it's good. I, I don't know. Maybe what an absolute farce. Well, England aren't the only team with scandal. Hanging over their head, Scotland have sent Finn Russell home ahead of their curtain raiser with Ireland for what they call a breach of team protocol at a team bonding session, which appears to have been drinking, which I thought was a team bonding session. I, let's get to the bottom of this. Let's talk to the former Scotland scrum half and regular contributor and co-host to Full Contact, Rory Lawson. Hello, Rory. Hi, Brian. What's been the reaction to this action uh, in in Scotland, oh, I think I think the public reaction has has been one of of massive disappointment. Um, I, I think the the player and and coach and management reaction has been one of let's get on with it. Now, the, the, obviously, there was the the storm that came off the back of the news that that Finn um, had been had returned to, to Racing and had left the squad. But at the same time, um, I, th- I think their focus immediately shifted, understanding that Gregor Townsend had made his decision um, that Finn wouldn't be available for the Irish game, which in turn allowed his Scottish squad to, to go away to the training camp in Spain and, and focus on the job in hand. Um, I don't think it's, it's over yet um, with regards to What's, what, what will still unfold um, and it will be interesting to see whether Finn does return to the squad for next week's Calcutta Cup game uh, but certainly it's 
it's disruption at a time that we can ill afford disruption. <laughs> and normally, as a Scottish person, the week leading into the week of the first test um, is one whereby there's loads of positivity, um, loads of hope and expectation um, and excitement looking forward to the tournament. So it's it's been different. It will have been disruptive, uh, but ultimately the Scotland squad are now away in Spain preparing for for Ireland and Dublin on Saturday and they'll have, they'll be very focused on the job. So, Roy, I don't know if you can confirm this, but my uh, reports are they don't necessarily see eye to eye all the time, uh, Russell and uh, Townsend. And for me, this sort of breach of protocol is one where if you really like the guy, you sort of try and find a way to say it doesn't really matter. And if you don't, then you can use it... Lobbing out. <laughs> in, a, ...in a way uh, in which seems to have been... To me going on, and if is there a case of that? Because if if there is, it's slightly more problematic than it would seem, isn't it? Yes, yeah, certainly. And you know, when I, when I look at it, I I say, you know, surely there was a better way of dealing with this. Did it need to, you know, grab the the headlines in in saying Finn Russell leaves Scotland camp, and you know, people didn't thought maybe thought it was an injury initially, but then when the when the when the stories unfold. Um, you know, when I when I look at it from a, a leadership perspective, you you look at things and you and the culture perspective, and you say yes, you have to you have to put your foot down. So, um, but but only if there is no other option. Um, I guess Gregor is gonna Gregor and the and the, and the leadership team uh, within that Scotland squad, presumably put their heads together, and felt that they wanted to. Make, you know, put put down, uh, put their foot down, and and treat Finn the way that they would have treated anybody else in the squad. And um, I don't know the detail as to exactly what's happened, um, but they they believe that the the only action they could take is for him to for him to leave the squad. Um, albeit, I do believe that he he had been invited to to remain training. Um, albeit, he knew he would miss out on the Ireland game. So. It's, it's really difficult um, for for me to comment, not knowing what's happened in house. But certainly, uh, you know, you'd like to hope that every option was looked at, and that that they would have sat down and had, had an adult discussion to say, "You've been in the wrong here. Um, there is still, you know, there there is still an, an opportunity for you to look forward if you make the right decision. Here's how the behaviours." Um, your behaviour might have impacted the bigger squad. Now we've got to park this and we've got to move forward. Obviously, they've not got to that stage, but you know that that sort of discussion has to happen now because Finn Russell is important enough to Scottish rugby, and hopefully he'll he'll have a look at the way things are and he cares about playing for Scotland enough that he might have to give a little bit. Gregor might have to give a little bit, but hopefully they end up on the right page. But because whether it was Twickenham uh, last year in the Calcutta Cup in the, in the change room at half time or at the Rugby World Cup, they maybe don't see eye to eye. But there are plenty of people in sport and plenty of people in business who don't see eye to eye but can get on with doing the jobs that they need to do. And that's ultimately what, what they've got to look at. Well, Rory Stuart Hogg, obviously new to the job of captaincy with the Scotland team. He's talked about the culture they've created and that players are, sorry, they're welcomed with open arms. Now, Adam Hastings has obviously had an opportunity before, but how do you see him stepping into the role? He's got big shoes to fill in terms of what Finn Russell brings to the Scottish game. Yeah, Tom, I think from from my perspective, if I think about you know the, the 15 or 20 years before 
Adam Hastings came onto the scene, you're probably looking at one fly half as the Scottish option. You'd, you'd argue that, that Scotland have a, a very capable replacement for Finn. The difference is that you know, Finn's almost got 50 caps and has been nailed on in that position for the last couple of years. So Adam has to come in and, and add his strength to the, to the, to the offering. Um, and he's not short of confidence. So he just needs to understand what Gregor and the players around him need um, from him to be able to function and put themselves in a position to win a test match in Dublin on Saturday. Um, so it's, it's big shoes to fill. I think, you know, Stuart Hogg going into that, that captain position is you know is is an is a new territory and I think when you look at a couple of the leaders who have moved out of the squad, obviously Greg Laidlaw, John Barkley, you know Tommy Seymour, albeit not a vocal leader within that squad, someone who had 50 plus caps and in and around the squad would be able to have those smaller discussions that would be of value. So there's a lot to soak up. Um, and when you think about when I think about Stuart Hogg as a captain, I love the fact that he stepped up to the challenge. He went to Gregor. He requested it. He's a senior member of the squad. He's been a British and Irish lion. He's been, you know, back back to back player of the tournament in the Six Nations. He's he's there. He's been there. He's he's done it. He's got the T-shirt. Now he's got to step up in a different manner as a leader. And logistically, doing that from fullback is will be a challenge itself. Um, but and he'll have to find ways of ensuring that he has enough say in a game uh, from that position and is able to have conversations with the, the referee across all five games of the Six Nations. Um, but certainly he, he's up for the challenge and, uh, and, and I really like that about Hoggy. Uh, Rory, uh, final question. Look, it wasn't a good 2019 for Gregor Townsend. Barbie, um, you know, astonishing stuff that happened on the field at Twickenham and then not getting out of the uh, group in the the World Cup. What's the perception now? Is there any real pressure um, uh, for his his head? I think there's always pressure in these positions and Gregor will be acutely aware of the pressure that's on him. Um, ultimately, Scotland, Scotland set their targets as quarter-final as a minimum standard in the Rugby World Cup um, and they didn't reach that. And the pressure has built because when you think about the the circumstances under which Gregor came into the role, uh, Vern Cotter had done a good job, and many believed that he probably left that that position too soon. So Gregor naturally has pressure, but anybody at the top end of sport knows that pre- pressure is a privilege, and he's in a position whereby you're under the spotlight, you understand that you that every move that your squad make and every move that you make. Um, is is under scrutiny, and you know Scottish rugby has grabbed the headlines for the wrong reasons over the the recent weeks and months. And I think that Gregor will carry a bit of that pressure as well. So he'll be very keen to get the best out of himself, the best out of the players. He'll have been honest in his review with his coaches and his players from the World Cup, and they have the opportunity in a couple of days' time to to try and create some positive headlines and. You know, there's no, there's very few challenges bigger than an away game in Dublin against Ireland under new leadership with with Andy Farrell as coach and Johnny Sexton as captain. So it's a big challenge, but you know, I'd love to be in that squad at the moment. Um, you, we love taking the challenge on. Um, they'll go as underdogs, and they'd love to be able to create a result, albeit you know the odds are stacked against them. Okay, great to speak to you again. 
Hopefully speak to you again fairly shortly. Thanks, Brian. Cheers, Tom. This Six Nations don't do things by halves. Turn to The Telegraph for unrivaled insight from legends of the game. Join Sir Ian McGeekin, Brian Moore, Will Greenwood and other rugby greats to follow every dramatic moment. Subscribe to our sport package today from just £1 per week at telegraph.co.uk. Well, Scotland's first opponents are Ireland, who come into the tournament under new management. Andy Farrell stepped up to replace Joe Schmidt. Uh, who was unable to take his side past the quarterfinals as well, wasted no time in naming his side, which is not the way that Schmidt used to do it, but uh, Armani dropped. Uh, Murray keeps his spot over Cooney. Time now to speak to the former Ireland and Munster back row, Alan Quinlan. Hello, Quinlan. Hi, Brian. How are you? Hi, Tom. Not too bad. Um, sides out, which is early, which is not necessarily what Schmidt used to do. Are you surprised that Cooney doesn't perhaps get a starting spot over Murray? Yeah, a little bit, I think. Obviously, John Cooney's form, Brian, was was superb for Ulster in, in, in um, the six pool games in Europe. And I suppose there's been a big debate here in Ireland about uh, the Cooney-Murray battle and maybe the need for change and, and rewarding someone whose form has been so good. He's probably single-handedly won a few of those games for for Ulster and uh, his, his form has been fantastic but I suppose Conor Murray in a sense is probably one of the players that suffered a little bit from the World Cup um, and throughout 2019 his form wasn't the best I think in recent weeks he's certainly shown glimpses of, of what he's capable of and in, in, in a Munster team that probably have struggled up front he's, he's actually played quite well so I'm not usually surprised um, that Farrell has gone from Murray because of the experience and because it's a new regime I think he probably deserves a chance uh, particularly under Andy Farrell and, and Mike Cass and there's a lot of talk that Ireland will certainly change the way they play and be a bit more expansive so I probably think he's probably get, been backed um, in that sense that he's given an opportunity with his experience and a chance to maybe atone for for not the best form in 2019 well, you hinted at a potential change in style, and I just wonder if that accounts for um, uh, Amani's um, elimination because he, for such a long time, has been held up as a talismanic figure. But you know, he's very much a dog in the sense of uh, not 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 negative. I don't mean that, you know, but he does the hard work and he does the wrecking work and so on. Not necessarily a you know a linking player and so on. Is, do you think that's the reason behind it, or is there something else? I, I think it's there's a, probably a couple of reasons behind one. Uh, the first reason is uh, Van der Fleer, O'Mahony, and Stander have probably played together. They've been the three that have played in the back row throughout 2019, and Ireland have struggled. Our back row have probably failed to make an impact and really kind of affect games in a really positive way. Um, Caelan Doris is number two because his form has been outstanding for Leinster. Very, very highly thought of by Leinster and his performances have been electric. I think he's a great footballer, very dynamic with the ball in hand and a great skill set. I think there is a real need to probably have more of a ball-carrying uh, threat from that back row. Now, O'Mahony, for all his brilliant work and fairness, he's been outstanding for Ireland uh, particularly in 2018 and, and before that when they had success and beating the All Blacks and such a wonderful year winning the Grand Slam and, and 
2018. So I think there's a lot of credit in the bank there with O'Mahony. But I think there is there probably was a need to change and to try and have more of an impact in games. And in a sense, Doris brings something different. He brings a real enthusiasm, footballing ability, and 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 a, and a rare talent. He's a very very talented player. So I I always thought that um, there would be a change in the back row, maybe two changes because of um, maybe the impact that they didn't make at the World Cup and. Uh, and Doris has been rewarded. I thought Omani may stay and he, he may put a uh, stander on the bench to bring him off for the impact. But he's gone with obviously someone who's going to make you 15 to 20 carries a game, albeit some of them are, they're not very evasive. They're very direct. And maybe uh, Doris will be the one that will find a little bit of space and line breaks and stuff. So I think there was a need for a change there and um, it's, uh, it's happened. Uh, just a final uh, question. Um, Johnny Sexton has missed a lot of rugby over the last uh, cu- couple of years. He is probably not uh, a long-term candidate to take you into the next World Cup. Is it right, therefore, that he's captain? Um, yeah, I'm, I, I was kind of divided on it. Um, I'm a big Johnny Sexton fan. I think he's incredibly resilient. He's a huge talent. Um, he probably hasn't the same mileage on the clock as someone like Owen Farrell, who's who's a couple of years younger than me. Um, and I, 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 I personally, after the World Cup, I thought James Ryan was the was was the person that Ireland should have picked as captain, start that cycle now. Um, but in a sense, then I'm I'm part of me is is not disappointed that Johnny Sexton is captain. I want to make that clear because. I think he's he, it, they've looked short term and I think maybe Andy Farrell is right and we'll see how it plays out for him um, he wants to keep that experience there and, and he wants to maybe just keep a little bit of calm and, and, and uh, stability in the team and give the experience the captaincy to a really experienced player and maybe after the Six Nations or towards the summer tour or November internationals that, that could change but I really do think it's a short-term appointment, and I think Andy Farrell has made that pretty clear. I wouldn't be any bit surprised if Johnny Sexton gets to the next World Cup, um, and that's you know maybe going against what what we should be doing when you think we had a 37-year-old captain at the last World Cup. But nothing would surprise me with Sexton. I think he's incredibly resilient. If he keeps himself in shape, he can play for another couple of years. So um, in a sense, he's not looking too far ahead. But I do think James Ryan will probably be the one that will lead Ireland to the next World Cup. Are you expecting anything other than an Ireland win? Um, yeah, I'm excited by the team, Brian. I think um, Ronan Kelleher would have probably started um, at hooker. He's a brilliant player. Um, he's been superb for Leinster, particularly when the World Cup was on. Unfortunately, he got, a, got an injury. He's on the bench. Uh, Rob Herring gets a chance. He's a really good player. And I think he brings something different at hooker for Ireland. But I'm I, I'm excited by the team. You know, when you look at the back line, I think someone like Gary Ringrose and Conway and Larmer, if they get enough of ball, Stockdale, they they possess a threat and an ability to break teams down. And I think, uh, but I do think Ireland need to play differently. They need to throw the ball around a little bit more and play to their strengths because they're not powerful enough to outmuscle teams, uh, particularly when it comes to England. Um, so I think I, I I expect them to win on Saturday and start off on a positive note. Good to speak to you again, mate. See you soon. Cheers, boys. It is important, as I've said, 
about the first game for lots of reasons in the Six Nations to get it off to a good start. And I think I wouldn't be surprised if some of the island things reflect that uh, just to make sure they don't have a disaster at home you know, against Scotland, you know, because Scotland are on the day capable of beating Ireland. So they don't want that to happen. Um, can you, I just can't see with the way Scotland are at the moment. I, th- there's something strange about that, uh, about that Russell thing to me. It, 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 it looks like it's deeper than it, we're yes, being it we're being led to, to to believe because for me you wouldn't chuck out one well if not the best player in your squad for having one too many beers. Well, it seems to, I mean unless he was unless he you know unless he was spewing up everywhere and he assaulted someone, you know if it was just a couple, you know that's the sort of thing that you just smooth over, isn't it? Yeah, I think so, and and I tend to agree with you. I think given what happened in the World Cup for Scotland. Um, and and the team that Ireland have now named and what's been going on, I think that could be a horror show for Scotland. Time now to talk about the defending champions. That's Wales. They also come into the tournament under new management. Wayne Pivak leaves his role at Scarlets to replace the long-standing Warren Gatland. He's promised an exciting brand of rugby will be played. Uh, who knows? Why do, we, why do we speak to a former Scarlet? Um, and also, a Wales and former Lions number eight, Scott Quinnell. Hello, Scott. Hello, Moro. How are you? Not too bad. Um, Wendy Jones started the mind game saying already, uh, every time he walks through rugby Wales HQ, he sees someone paying homage to Gatland, uh, and, and so on. Look, Wales, I think they... If the bookies are right, and they're not always right, they come as third favourites, which I think is is slightly odd. But do you think Pivak and the change is likely to destabilise that much, or shouldn't it be just relatively business as usual, given the quality of the squad and the experience there? Yeah, I think the quality of the squad is uh, is superb, and uh, with some uh, young men coming in as well uh, uh, for the first time in, into that uh, into the squad. And I think when you talk about Wayne Pivak and uh, you talk about Warren Gatlin, they've actually put his name now on, on, on the gate as you go in, the Warren Gatlin <laughs> gate. So not only when they drive down on uh, Saturday, uh, going to play Italy, uh, they will be going down there, all the tension, all the apprehension, wanting for a new future. The Warren Gatlin gates will open to let them in, which will be absolutely... <laughs> Well, absolutely lovely. So everybody will, uh, will, I'm sure they'll have a, a little look back, but uh, with uh, the last couple of weeks they've had together and talking to Wayne Pivak uh, and Stephen Jones last week, uh, they're, they're so excited going into this. And you know, when somebody's been there 12 years more, and yeah. a, a new voice comes in, it, it, it's, it's like first day in school again. Mm-hmm. I suppose it's like, it was like putting an old uh, pair of slippers on uh, for the last couple of years with cats because you more or less know what you do. You, you come in, you know your routine. And it's just freshened that up a bit with the new guys coming in. But for the older guys as well, it's something new. It's something different. It's a different voice. So I'm really excited. I mean, it's a, be- it's a perfect fixture, isn't it? Um, Italy at home. You couldn't want a better one because you'll be able to, you know, a few mistakes will probably be forgiven on the scoreboard. So, you know, that's a good thing. I tell you what, can you just come and tell me this? Um, Sean Edwards, um, it said he, he only moved because he's been offered a four-year deal with France. And yeah. he was only offered two with Wales. Did it? Is that uh, surprising? Did Pivak miss a trick? If that's the case, uh, possibly, possibly. But you have, you know, you know. I'm, I'm sure there, there was a four-year deal. I'm, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised. There was a bit more money 
in, in the deal. Uh, you go in there and uh, Sean's been there now 10, 12 years as well. Uh, so with Wayne coming in, uh, they're already appointed by Hayward, uh, Stephen Jones have come in um, and, you know, look, looking forward. Uh, I suppose it was it's a new start, it's a new setup. Neil Jenkins, of course, is uh, still there. Uh, fitness and uh, the skills coach Bobby uh, is uh, is still there, so they have that uh, some continuity behind the scene. But they wanted to freshen a lot of things up, and that's why I think bringing Sam Warburton in, uh, you know, is is going to pay dividends uh, as well. Just come out to the game, understands the game hugely, loves the breakdown. Uh, you know, and, and, and defensive uh, core. Uh, but with Sean uh, leaving, he was a big character. He was a he was he was a, a big presence with it in that squad uh, as well. He will be missed, as will everybody else. But I think the new regime, the whole regime, has been changed. And uh, you know, this one we're going to look forward to. I'm sure. You know, they'll all uh, have a, a glass of red wine, I suppose, <laughs> with Sean after, after the French game, if he brings them with him, of course. Um, and uh, you know, uh, but you you know, we've, we've got to move on. And uh, uh, with Sean going going to France, it's uh, it, it's going to be uh, you know, I, I think that just uh, it shows that France are going to be stronger uh, as well. Because I I know the type of guy that Sean is, and he started to speak French. You know, he's pigeon French out in France. Uh, but you boy, speak he's in English as well. Well, well, you know, he's, he's a good, he's a good northern lad. He's a good, <laughs> he's a good northern lad. When I played with him, in, when I played with him in uh, in Wigan for, for for all these years, you know, he could understand me. I could understand him, but he just said, like, "Go forward, catch this," and that's the, that's that's the end of it. That's all you need to know. <laughs> Scotty, I'm, I'm pretty excited to see some of the younger players being brought in by Wales. Now, uh, obviously, there's a brand spanking shiny new one in terms of Louis Rees Samit. Sure. Um, but Nick Tompkins is class, in my opinion. Do you think yeah. we'll get to see the best of him, given Jonathan Davis is injured? I know Owen Watkins is, is training again this, this week, but there's an opportunity, I think, for him to really stake a claim in that Welsh midfield. Well, you know what? What he's been doing with Saracen has been superb. He's been in the club. Uh, I know, unfortunately, for you know the last couple of months, there's been all the controversy about Saracen. But one thing they do is they build a culture. Uh, you know, work hard. You you know, you train hard. You play hard. You work for the people around you. And he's he's done that. He's done that in spades. Uh, and now he's bringing that into into the Welsh uh, in the Welsh setup uh, with the likes of you know, as you say, uh, John Davis. Uh, uh, out there, hello, hello uh, out. Uh, so uh, when you've got the, 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 that quality coming in, and uh, when you've got uh, you know the type of guys that can work around him, you know the likes of uh, George Nosh, uh, George Nosh, John Adams, even Johnny uh, McNichol, you know, and then you, you say you know with with Reece Abbott who's coming in, who's, you know, you know you've got pace uh, outside you. You know, I think that's going to be wonderful, and I think he's going to grow into that uh, role uh, particularly well because Hadley Park's playing at twelve. You know, he's an old head. He'll, he'll understand. He's a, he's a, he's a good uh, stalwart. He, he defends. He carries uh, up well. And I think uh, you know, if Tompkins does play, it'll be the p- perfect combination for them. Do you think we'll see much of Reese Zamet, or do you think I they're going to stick so. with 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 what they sort of know? Well, you know, you, unfortunately, you know, Owen Lane picked up uh, an injury, and uh, he came into the Welsh squad in the uh, in, in the World Cup, and uh, you know, he thought he might maybe get the start there now. Uh, there's talk about uh, George North going in. I know they, they you know, they, they've uh, had a look at him at 13. Um, funny enough, my dad said at the age of uh, at the age of 18, that boy should be playing 13 uh, uh, because you know he's so big, he's so strong, he's got gas on the outside. Uh, his, his defensive game is is good, so it'll be interesting to see if he if he does uh, slot in there. Then that gives uh, space for 
uh, Rhys Ahmet, who well, when you watch him play for Gloucester, he's, he's like one of those guys, you know. When, uh, when he gets the ball, you just you, you you just want him to go. It doesn't matter how much space he has. You, every time you got there, you're watching the tail. You just go, on, <laughs> just, run. just go, just go. You know, and uh, he's, he's 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 fantastic. He's a young man. He's got a lot to learn. Uh, you know, especially defensively, I think uh, in in international rugby, uh, there's a huge amount uh, to learn for, for for a young man. But with ball in hand, I don't think there's anybody more exciting out there at the moment. What did your dad know about the game? What's he ever done? He used to make me watch that Barbarian game, nineteen seventy-three, every morning before going to school. Borrow, you know what I mean? He go watch exactly. it now, watch it. So that's wonderful by Cornell and yes, Cliff Morgan. Exactly. Would say, "Well, tell me what, all right, all right, Dad, all right, Dad. You could, you could, you could pass, and I couldn't. I know." Great to speak to you again, uh, and uh, give him my best, mate. Okay, pleasure. Thank you, gentlemen. Cheers. Post World Cup. Six Nations are unpredictable. The tournament is unpredictable anyway, so that makes it doubly so. Teams in transition, well, virtually every team, for different reasons. Anyone who tries to make predictions is a fool, therefore, I'm going to let you do it. (laughs) So you're going to (laughs) set me up to make them. Throw the ball in the air (laughs) with uh, someone wringing out your ribs. No, look, without the obvious caveats and too many of them, how how do you think the tournament will go and how do you think they'll approach it? Look, I, I think out of the four home nations, I think Scotland are the team that are going to struggle. Um, I don't see I don't see them doing too much during this tournament. I think Ireland having having made this selection now, they I mean they still look very strong, even though they've they've got uncapped players coming through. They've just they've just changed one or two. Um, but I think they've got enough experience there to really grab this competition by the scruff of the neck. I think England and Wales are, are pretty much neck and neck in how they how they may well um, come out of this tournament. Uh, it'll be a pretty interesting game when they face up against each other at Twickenham on, on March the 7th. Um, but for me, I, I'm just excited to see the home nations having said, you know what, the World Cup's done. It's it's an opportunity to make changes. It's an opportunity to to give... Oppor- be interested to see what direction they're going. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. and change. You know, we've we've heard guys already talk about the change of style of play. Wales, Ireland. Well, I'm sure, Wales and Ireland will do that because, as was mentioned by Alan Quinland, everyone has not everybody, but a lot of teams have found ways to combat that kicking game, and they need to expand. Wales have found that being utterly tenacious will not get you everywhere. Will not get you the very final big thing. And if they want to get to the highest things, they want to win the biggest tournament, they're going to have to have that all-round game or they're going to have to be so big and brutal like South Africa that they can carry that off. And that's a simplistic thing because South Africa, to me, have a lot uh, in in reserve and and can play different ways if they choose to. So I think that's probably going to be the thing. With England, I think Eddie Jones is well aware that you need to keep winning. He needs to keep winning. The England team needs to keep winning because the pressure, if they don't, is inordinate. Probably wrongly, but that's the way it goes. And between the first games, as I keep on stressing, can't stress enough, you have to win the first game, come hell or high water. I think also you get, you get experience with those young players. And blooding them now, they get to learn of how to adapt in a game. And I think that's the hardest thing as a young player, is how do you adapt to plan B? Look, look back to just the, the Six Nations last time out. England got taken to the cleaners down in Wales because they didn't have a plan B that they could switch to. Well, of course, it's not just the um, male Six Nations. 
Uh, the Women's Six Nations is also uh, continuing. And Sarah Hunter, the England women's captain, is trying to defend the Grand Slam. She's joining us now. Hello, Sarah. Hi, how are you? Not too bad. Um, first test, away to France. Now, France have been powerful in the past, but um, I've shown typical French inconsistency. Um, what do you think you have to do in particular to retain this title? Yeah, so obviously um, going to France first up um, is a, a very uh, difficult challenge. You know, we've, we've got three away games and we, we've got to hit the ground running um, first up on, on Sunday. And I think that that's our first challenge. And I know it's a bit of a cliche, but our thoughts aren't really beyond that. And, and we know... Um, France will be a very difficult proposition at home in the southwest of France, where there's a, a real hotbed and a, probably a partisan crowd. And um, last year we were fortunate enough to to beat them four times out of four, so we we know France will will be sort of like right within coming to coming back to to right those wrongs of the the results that they had. So we'll we'll be expecting a fierce test against them. Um, they've got a formidable pack and a, a backline that is as dangerous as any French side um, I've come across. So, um, yeah, we'll be have to be at the top of our game to, to get a result we want down there. Well, the route to retain the title um, is difficult because you've got Ireland away and last year's runners-up, Italy also away. And, uh, of course, no Marley Packer, uh, who's going to miss the tournament. How much of a loss is she going to be? Yeah, so obviously um, it, it's never great when you, when you lose um, any player um and Marley Packer not not only brings like uh, an um, enormous amount on the field she she's such a, a great player to to have off and i think that's one thing we've we've sure we've grown into in terms of uh, how we how we get on off the field as well and it's a great squad to to be around and, and Marley's a big part of that um but it's unfortunate for her and um but where someone someone has a a setback a not selected through injury, it gives an opportunity to to someone else, and and that's a great thing about where we are now as a squad. We've got great strength and depth, and it gives the opportunity for for someone else to to put their put their hand up and and, and make a case for for selection. So it's a really exciting squad to, to be part of, and obviously we we wish Marley the speediest of recoveries with with her injury. Sarah, all three of the games are on at the same time on the Sunday. What do you what are your thoughts on the scheduling of of this year's tournament? Yeah, so um, to be honest, I didn't really realise they were um, all on the same time. I think as a player, you probably just look to um, your game and what time that kicks off. But I think, obviously, if we're looking at the the game as a whole um, and looking for people that want to support the game and are interested and neutrals or fans of a particular team, it doesn't necessarily give you the opportunity to, to watch one game and then the next. Like You see um, the men's scheduling, it allows... Um, to watch all of them and stay involved with with the whole of the tournament, where obviously fixtures kicking off at the same time, it can be a bit frustrating. I think it's at the minute where we are. It we obviously they're all being broadcast, so we're probably a little bit hamstrung to to when broadcasters want to show the game. So we've got to weigh that up. But I think. Um, the women's game as a whole is probably being looked at in terms of like, like you say, scheduling when to have it, what days to have it, how it's broadcast. So I think there's a bigger picture to do, but I can imagine for 
supporters Sarah, would be a bit frustrated. You, you can't say this. I'll say it for you. It's bloody stupid. <laughs> Tom, I think look we've seen some brilliant games staged here in here in England obviously in France the games are massive and they're well followed over there how happy are you with the progression of the the women's game on the whole I think it's been brilliant yeah no uh, it's definitely changed from my first cut back in 2007 when there was probably um, we're lucky if we get a couple of hundred supporters to to now like we go down to Sandy Park and it's like tens of ten thousand people. We go across to um to France and they get near enough twenty thousand. So it, it and it's it's done it quite rapidly and I think um that's only a positive thing. And we went off to um Bedford and we sold that out of six thousand. So now we're we we're at a minimum of the capacity of, of the grounds that we, we want to. Um, hold and where we want to move the game at. and I think what you're now seeing for us is we're seeing the familiar faces going from ground to ground which obviously means we're starting to get our own support network we're seeing those faces travel out to, to France and Italy whereas beforehand it, the only supporters we'd usually have there would be friends and families of the players so yeah we're on a we're on an exciting journey in the game that's for sure. So we've got to leave it there, but best of luck. Not easy to get back-to-back Grand Slams, uh, but you've got our best wishes. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. Before we finish, a couple of uh, questions, two or three questions from uh, people who subscribe to the podcast. Uh, at Corfagar, what do you make of Sinclair's move to Bristol? Brilliant. I love him. If I had a cr- crush on a prop, which <laughs> for a back... Doesn't happen very often. I've got a crush on Carl Sinclair. He no, is, I mean, yeah, he's, he's improved immeasurably. I remember him as a very young Quinns player when he struggled with his strumming. The great thing about Carl is he listens. You know, he might have a hot head, but he does actually listen. And he does go away and learn. And this is what happens when you stick to the salary cap because you can't keep your players. And this is the point I was making earlier on. Kim, you know, the Quinns thing. If there was something in place, then they might benefit from that one. Um... Let's have another one. Israel Falau. Israel Falau is going to play for Catalan Dragons. So he's coming over to Europe. He'll be under the uh, auspices and the authority of the uh, English Rugby League. Um, could be interesting, this, couldn't it? It could be. It was quite interesting what Wigan went and did. And named their pride game eight minutes after <laughs> the announcement of, uh, of him being announced as a player for the Catalan Dragons. That would be a lively affair, I would yeah. imagine. Uh, interest- I always thought he'd end up in France. If someone was going to take him, it was going to be France. I didn't think it would be the Catalan Dragons, but there we go. Wish him all the best. Well, I, I tell you, the, 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 it will just be very interesting to me to see how another sport deals yeah. with his outrages if in day, indeed they are repeated. Um, because the Australian rugby union tried to deal with it one way, if he does it again, we'll, we'll uh, be just be interested to see how that goes on. Very finally, Bill Beaumont has talked about um, injury-only replacements. Now, the problem with this is if you mention this to modern-day players and coaches, they have no conception of how this might work, and therefore they recoil with it, it, it in, in face of it with absolute horror and believe it couldn't possibly work. It could quite easily. Uh, and for many reasons, I think it, it would be beneficial. Not least, it would release a lot of pressure on wages. But one of the things that's come from uh, Kiwi Steve said, uh, if you do have that, how can you ensure injuries are legit? Well, that's the first thing that coaches do, isn't it? They look at try- the ways of trying to get around the around the regulations. Um, 
whether it be financial or whether they be uh, around based around injury. Um, we've seen examples of it uh, with concussion, unfortunately. Uh, we're less and less of those. Um, but for sure, there will be opportunities and, and um, coaches that would look to try and expose those. And I think I understand the theory behind it. I'm just not sure how, very, how easy it is to implement it. Well, let me say this. It might well bring around a sea change in player attitude because before you could make substitutions and it was accepted, I promise you, no one ever came off unless they had to. No one wanted the enigmany of having to be told to fake an injury and it hardly ever happened. I can name the instances, three or four, in which my whole career where I think it did happen and they were that limited. So you might get a change to that. You might get people being honest. And the only other thing you could do is to have independent doctors look at players. And, of course, things like back injuries and head injuries, there's not a lot he can do. But you just have to look for patterns. And if this happens a lot, and it seems to be happening at important times, then you have to, you know, warn um, clubs. And you just, uh, yes, it is going to be a problem if it comes in. But the upsides of it for me, which unfortunately, as I say, Modern player, you know, today's players and coaches can't know of because they never went through it. You know, are, are there? And it's for me it, it, and a lot of supporters actually. It is a thing that's worth uh, that's worth trying. That's all we have time for this week on Brian Moore's Full Contact with the Telegraph. Stay with us throughout the Six Nations, where we'll be dissecting every blow and every comment. Thank you to my co-host Tom May and to all our guests. I'll be back every Monday evening from the usual places. Get your podcast there. Make sure you subscribe to that and previous episodes. But for now, it's goodbye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.